You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another Crossover Wednesday edition of Locked on Ravens and Locked on Browns. Kevin Ostraker of Ravens Wire here with you from Locked on Ravens along with Jeff Lloyd from Locked on Browns. Jeff, how are you doing today? Uh, couldn't be better, Kevin. Uh, you know, uh, me personally, of course, is how I'm phrasing that. Um, I don't think anybody could be better than you and uh, the fans of the black and purple down in Baltimore. So, uh, you know, looking forward to doing this one um you know not looking forward to maybe sunday as much as i should be there's a lot to look forward to i I think for both of us actually the ravens here sitting at 12 and 2 looking to lock up the top seed in the afc with the one against the browns they would do just that there's no way the chiefs or the patriots could catch them thus the playoffs would run through baltimore the browns on the other hand fighting for their playoff lives a loss would mean elimination but they would also need a lot more help if they were to win this game And Jeff, I want to ask you first about your expectations, your expectations for this year from April, from the preseason, and kind of how they've lined up with what you're seeing out of this Browns team now. Is this how you and all of Browns Nation thought this season was going to go? I mean, obviously not. Um, And, you know, even John Dorsey tried to say, you know, we don't think we're there yet. Um, But you look at the players' reaction right now, and their reaction is, you know, They obviously felt differently, Um, you know, at best eight and eight. You don't think anybody here in the way these, you know, these guys are right now that that's something that they thought in. I know me personally, you know, you can tell me, oh, we don't think we're there yet. And you got a first round pick and a second round pick at cornerback. You got Odell. You got Jarvis. And at the time, Rashard Higgins, who everybody loved. Antonio Callaway, who looked like he was going to be an emerging player. David Njoku, third year, maybe going to break out. Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, come we come your ninth game of the season. You're getting Kareem Hunt, uh, Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Sheldon Richardson. I mean, it's, you know, kind of hard to think that you'd be sitting here at six and eight and, you know, you couldn't handle a Cardinals running game led by Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. And, you know, some of these other losses, it's it's been devastating. And actually, I go back to this and this just came up recently. You know, they're doing that NFL top 100 thing and Bill Belichick's been a part of it and and Bill Belichick saying talent will never trump coaching and uh it's like it's kind of where I'm at like right now it's like and look Freddie said all the right things and we all kind of fell in love with him in the end of 18 the way things were going I don't think there's a Browns fan walking who said I really don't want him and you know it's great to have the bravado it's great great to talk the talk but you know, I don't know how he survives. I, I, you know, I, we were trying, and even up until the Arizona game, I was trying because I don't want more change. I don't. I don't want more change. But you get that feeling that, you know, the problem is, is even if the, if John Dorsey loves him and thinks, no, he's going to get there one day, you got 53 guys in that locker room, and it's starting to look like more than half, if not closer to 75%. If the players don't think he's it, that's an issue. And he needed to get off to a quick start. Two and two wasn't bad. Going and get blasted by San Francisco kind of maybe is where things got a little bit. And, you know, then you almost had a strong, you almost swept November, uh, you know, a loss at Pittsburgh, which, you know, was a winnable game. And then this last one here versus Arizona. I just think 
these players, you know, I don't want to say lost the locker room. You want to use that phrase. I just think these players just don't feel he's it. And that's exactly what I really wanted to ask you about next is the Freddie Kitchens hire. I know I think I asked you about this on our last episode that we did over before the week four game. I asked you if you thought Freddie Kitchens was the right hire. And so with everything you've just said, I can assume not. And I personally didn't think he was at the time either. I thought Greg Williams would have made a better choice. And even if not Greg Williams, someone else with that experience, Mike McCarthy's name was mentioned, I know. You mentioned the talent, and the talent can never get over the bad coaching. Well, I think you're right. The Browns have to do something about Kitchens if they want to keep that talent on their roster because at the moment they want people to come get them. And so I want to hear your opinion here, Jeff. Was Freddie Kitchens the right hire throughout the entire season? Now, it obviously seems like it's not, but go a little bit in depth there. Was Freddie Kitchens the right hire? Looking at everything now and taking everything in the moment and where you are now, no. Um, You know, there's some talk that maybe they did have interest in Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy, one of what John Dorsey said is, look, I really like Freddie Kitchens, you know, I want Freddie Kitchens to be the offensive coordinator. Apparently, that's where maybe Mike backed out. And look, you know, Mike's been been at it for a while. He's kind of got his own people. And then it doesn't hurt. I mean, it doesn't help Freddie at all when you see this video 10 days ago where Mike McCarthy kind of said, all right, look, I did everything my way for so long. I'm going to get some guys together here. And we're an older group and understand that this league is different now. So let's go try to embrace some of this knowledge, see what we like, see how we can incorporate into what we traditionally and really like. And wow, all right, there's some things we can do off of it and add to it. That doesn't help Freddie at all. And a guy like Mike McCarthy, who's 50 games over 500 in his head coaching career, and he's got guys in the front office he's worked with in the past. His offensive line coach in Green Bay is already here. If Mike McCarthy's interested, how can you say, well, we're the Cleveland Browns. We're going to pass on the guy with a Super Bowl ring with a winning percentage of 50 games over 500 for the guy that maybe got us to seven and nine. That's bad business. And if John Dorsey is going to rest his soul in Freddie Kitchens and Freddie's the same guy again, guess what? It's just not Freddie's head on the chopping block. It's most likely John Dorsey's as well. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. And I personally admired most of the moves that John Dorsey made. But again, it all comes down to coaching. He assembled a very talented roster. And I think part of it also comes down to what Baker Mayfield was able to do in the offseason and helping his development from year one to year two. And we us Ravens fans have seen what Lamar Jackson has been able to do from year one to year two. He worked at it hard in the offseason, made sure to get better as a thrower, as an athlete, decision maker. Jeff, from what your understanding is, did Baker Mayfield put in a lot of work this offseason? And, you know, if that is the case and if you thought that that was helping him contribute to get better, where did it go wrong for Baker and why hasn't he developed as much as Browns fans would have hoped? I'm not necessarily like I think with Baker, it's a lot to do. Look, Baker plays his part in this. There's no doubt the cohesion between he and Odell. It just never got right. Look, Odell, the injury, you know, there's no way to put a percentage on it, but you know, look, you you guys saw firsthand, essentially a non-factor. And the other thing was there wasn't much ever separation. And it's been few and far between where it's like, oh, man, they didn't get it to Odell and he was open. A lot of it's forced. And what made Baker so special in 2018 
was it was really only Jarvis who was a main cog, and Jarvis didn't have a monster year. He didn't even have a thousand yards. Baker got the ball, found the open guy, and you know, as I told you, you know, in our first show, it didn't matter if you were wide receiver one or wide receiver five, the top tight end or the third tight end. It didn't matter who you are. If you were open, you got the ball. This has changed now. I mean, you have two dominant receivers in Odell, in Jarvis. These gentlemen want their targets. There's no way around it. That kind of changed the way Baker maybe had to play. But again, Rashard Higgins was one of his favorites in 2018. And an absolute non-factor since, uh, you know, he had, he had a game-winning touchdown catch against the Bills. Didn't do anything else other than week one with two catches on the first drive. Antonio Callaway never liked the pick to begin with. And knucklehead's going to knucklehead and he knucklehead. And so that was bad. Uh, you know, Kareem Hunt, they, had it, they have a nice thing going with this two-back system. But this is not what it was supposed to be. Um, offensive tackles certainly didn't help at all. They were banking on Chris Hubbard, at least being the Chris Hubbard he was in 18. <sighs> they were banking on Greg Robinson trying to float a second year. Obviously, that didn't work out too well. Wyatt Teller is their fifth attempt at right guard. It looks good. Wyatt Teller's playing well. A uh, little too late to fill that hole. So it's a lot of it. Baker himself, uh, look, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to use it as an excuse, but, I mean, you look at what happens after the rookie year. You have a really, really great rookie year. Now you kind of become this prince of a city. There's a lot of demands on you. And, you know, the league's got demands on you. And guess what? Now there's ad agencies. Everybody wants a piece of you. Could he have just said, my job is quarterback? Yeah, sure, he could have. Um, not a lot of guys do that. You get the opportunity. You're going to go do what you got to do. And this may be something that Lamar Jackson is going to go through. A lot of factors. And the fact that Freddie Kitchens, you know, this offense, most weeks, it was, uh, all right, let's throw this against the wall and see if it sticks. There never really seemed any rhyme or reason from one play call to the next. The handling of Nick Chubb, it was almost like every time they got into a bad situation, all right, well, let's just go with Nick Chubb now. And, you know, Nick would bail him out. But eventually, defenses were going to start creeping people up. All right, let's throw the ball. And when it's Odell and it's Jarvis and it's Baker, you can't tell me teams are bringing coverage up you know, bringing people into the box to try and stop the run. So you throw and it's not working out. It's just an absolute mess. And, you know, look, I, you know, losing Miles Garrett, nobody saw that coming. Olivier Vernon's injury, maybe he saw that coming. He has a history of it. But the defense was not supposed to be the calling card of this team. The offense was. This was an offense that was supposed to score 20s every week. And, you know, you have Nick Chubb, who right now is on pace to run over 1,600 yards. The running game's never been the issue. The problem is, is you were talking about an offense that was going to throw for north, north of 4,000 yards, if not more. Baker threw to what? I forget. It was 27 touchdowns last year. You figured that number was going to go up. It's nowhere close. Interceptions went out. Just a, a bad, bad year all, all around. And, you know, there's a factor in it from everybody on the offense. Yeah, the offense for Cleveland, I agree with you, Jeff. Definitely not what most people were thinking and definitely not what most of the experts were thinking. I remember... You know, I think Lewis Riddick was the one who had the Browns going 16-0, and and it just it just hasn't worked out for this Browns team. We're going to get into more of the Browns offense in the third segment, but when we get back from break here, we're going to get into the Ravens offense going up against that Browns defense, so stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. 
But before we do that, if you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. Great for all fans. Go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. And feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. Also, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Bluetooth is subscribed online and by a licensed physician, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. Right now, I've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit Bluetooth.com and get your first shipment free. When you use our special promo code LOCKEDON, just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code LOCKEDON to try it for free. Bluetooth is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Welcome back to the second segment of this crossover Wednesday, Locked on Ravens and Locked on Brown show. Kevin Ostriker still with you here with Jeff Lloyd. And Jeff, this was a question I asked you on our previous show right before that week four game. Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do this year, I personally think it's spectacular. And I asked you what you thought of Lamar Jackson before that week four game. Well, I want to ask you again here because he is now the unanimous MVP, or at least he should be. What do you think of Lamar Jackson, what he's been able to do to develop and turn into one of the great quarterbacks in the league? I think I don't think Lamar Jackson's changed much from who he was at Louisville. I think he and this is what I said when you know the whole evaluation process for him coming out in the draft was he needs the team that's going to let Lamar Jackson be Lamar Jackson. Look, eventually, do you hope you don't have to run him as much? Sure. I mean, you don't want the extra mileage on your quarterback. But you see how smart he is about it. He's very intelligent as far as taking hits as a runner. Very, very intelligent in that aspect. Uh, the throwing has just improved, and he's gotten much better with it. And, you know, like everybody over the last, you know, 18 months, what are the Ravens doing with all these tight ends? What are they doing here? Well, guess what? If you want to feature a scheme that looks run heavy, okay, oh, my God, a whole bunch of tight ends on the field. All right, let's get our bigger guys on the field. Oh, wait a minute. These tight ends can move. Oh, wait, they're throwing. I mean, and they're able now, and this is what you've gotten here in year two is, you know, you bring in a Marquise Brown who, oh, my God, you know, you pray you have one guy fast enough to run with him. Most teams don't, so guess what? There's going to be some safety help. Uh, you know, you bring in Boykin. Uh, guess what? I mean, there's not many six-foot-four defensive backs. I think they've done a really, really good job with the handling of him. I, I you know, I just, and I agree with you. It's, you know, look, I mean, I was talking, you know, uh, with our Browns PFF guy, John Costco last night, he's like, well, you know, through the PFF scope, you know, maybe it's Russell Wilson, you know, and I was like, all right, we'll take you that hat off. And he's like, I think Lamar Jackson's going to win this and win this easy. Um, it, I absolutely agree. This is the question I have for you. Is there anything new to this offense now as it's progressed here? And, you know, you're on a 10-game winning streak. Anything new? I mean, what have you seen from Lamar? What have you seen from the offense? Because, look, you can't keep running the same stuff out there week in, week out. What are some of the nuances that you see that, that have able to get this even? I mean, come on, nobody saw a 10-game winning streak coming. You thought, you thought they were a strong team, but nobody saw just 10 in a row. Yeah, I think this offense has 
constantly added in new wrinkles to the playbook. Greg Roman has done a phenomenal job of making sure teams always have to stay on their feet and stay disciplined. You mentioned those three tight ends. Well, you're right. They have to bring in a grouping and a personnel set to match them. And the luxury that the Ravens have is they have such a good blocking scheme. Their guards know exactly when to pull exactly who to go on to let Lamar Jackson go to the second level. But what the Ravens have done to kind of keep their playbook fresh and keep defenses guessing is, like I just said, adding in new wrinkles. We saw a few screen passes try to develop in the game against Buffalo. We've seen the Ravens kind of move away from running in some instances, kind of you you get the narrative of, oh, we're going to dare the Ravens to throw. Well, that narrative is dead now, and it's been dead for a while <laughs> because Lamar Jackson, as you said, the throwing has improved, and it's improved to a drastic measure, something that even I couldn't have predicted. I thought that, and I've been saying this, I thought that this was year three for Lamar Jackson. I thought Lamar Jackson was a special talent ever coming out or ever since coming out of Louisville, and I know that sounds cliche. I know I might sound like a bandwagoner here, but I was a supporter. And what I saw from Lamar Jackson in just these previous 10 games on this 10-game winning streak is a guy who is composed, who makes sure he makes the right decisions, and is smart with his body. And that's another thing. You rarely see Lamar Jackson with his hands on his hips. Something that makes him so special is the fact that he's able to kind of maximize his energy to the potential that the Ravens need him to. And the fact that he's able to go out there on a week-in and week-out basis and not look tired and not be tired as well. So it goes to show that the Ravens are able to go out and add new things into their playbook to make sure the defenses have to keep on guessing. But it's also a testament to their personnel and how they're able to execute week in and week out. My next question here for you, Jeff. Let's talk about Miles Garrett, a guy who is <laughs> undeniably, undeniably one of the best players, if not the best player on that Browns defense. He's gone for this matchup. He was in the matchup in week four against Baltimore and He's just a game wrecker. He's a game wrecker in his own, and his loss has to be big on that Browns defensive front. How have you seen the Browns defensive scheme kind of shift and change since his absence? Well, it's also it's two-pronged, though, because what made him, he and Olivier Vernon such a great pair is Olivier Vernon was the 9-to-5, the lunch paler. Like, everybody, oh, well, Vernon's not doing anything. But then, meanwhile, you know, you go through PFF, and the Grays are high 80s week in, week out. You know, he, he, Vernon is a guy you don't judge by, you know, the stats. You know, you, you judge by the play. Is he setting the edge? Is he letting people outside of him? And Miles, to his credit, was getting better with that. I mean, you know, nobody would care because of the elite pass rusher that he was. You lose the two of them. It, it's, it's a brutal, brutal combo. And the whole thing with Miles and that night and whatever happens, and I don't care. I, I will. Something was said to send this gentle giant off. Miles Garrett, and he's still doing regular charity work. You know, most guys in this situation would have packed their bags, said, you need me. I'm in Cabo. I'll talk to you all in six weeks. Whatever it is, they would have just ran away. He's showing up on Thanksgiving, handing out turkeys. He, he's going Christmas shopping with buddies. He's got six carts deep buying, you know, toys for kids who need them. Whatever happened that night. That is not the Miles Garrett I've seen for the years of covering this guy. But now you talk about where we're at. Now, how did this impact? Sheldon Richardson, he with Larry Ogunjobi were a really nice duo inside. Guess what? Uh, you're down your top two DNs. You just thought trading away Gennard Avery was a good idea. Guess what? Now you're starting Chad Thomas, who was a third-round pick in 2018. Chad Thomas is maybe good for a splash, a hurry, or a sack. One a week. One a week. Maybe he gets a big play. More playing time is showing warts there. 
your next two, well, now, so Sheldon Richards is playing defensive end. So that means you are now down to, who on this season, what would be your fifth defensive tackle playing significant minutes. Larry Ogunjobi's there. Your two backup defensive tackles, one hurt, IR'd. The other one released, who had an interception of all things. Devereaux Lawrence had an interception against the Ravens. He's no longer with the team. So that puts you now at your fifth defensive tackle, decimated on the defensive line. I picked up on that as well. Arizona kind of runs something, I'll say similar. It's not exactly the same, and there are a lot more things that go into it. But we saw some read options with Kyler Murray. He would get around the edge, and it didn't seem like the Browns were able to really do anything about it. The difference is with Arizona, it's a lot more jet sweeps, and it's a lot more motion, and any guy on the field is capable of getting the ball. And and until you get better players, maybe this is why you're doing that. Baltimore, they they don't have to do that. They got the talent. I do have one more for you for the offense. And this is more on, you know, Roman, you look at the recent success of Colin Kaepernick, Lamar Jackson. I mean, this is the league isn't flooding with these type of quarterbacks. So are you that concerned on losing Roman or maybe not? You know, there's always a concern when you have a guy come in and do such a phenomenal job with your offense. The Ravens actually saw the same exact thing happen. Gary Kubiak came in and was Mm -hmm. the offensive coordinator for a year. He left for Denver, and the Ravens' offense suffered because of it. And Joe Flacco had rotated through offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator. I mean, you have Jim Caldwell, Cam Cameron, Mark Tressman. The list goes on and on and on. And I don't want to see Lamar Jackson fall into that same pattern where, you know, in his rookie season, he— had Marty Morningweg when he took over from Flacco, and then now this year he has Roman, and then if Roman isn't one and done, he'll have somebody new. And you mentioned what Greg Roman was, you know, with the Colin Kaepernick, and he also did some phenomenal things with Tyrod Taylor in Buffalo. In the league, it isn't crawling with these quarterbacks, but you're starting to see more of these skill sets, these quarterback skill sets, translate to the NFL. Now, in terms of if I'm scared to potentially lose Greg Roman if that was to happen, to an extent, yes, but also to an extent, no. The Ravens put in a system, and the foundation of that system would not go away. The Ravens knew when they drafted Lamar Jackson, they would need a coordinator whose mindset was along with the system they put him in. And so they went out and they interviewed Greg Roman, but they also interviewed a bunch of other guys with that same mindset. And now while Greg Roman is unique in his own, and while he will make a phenomenal head coach somewhere if he does go, the question then becomes, is Greg Roman scared of losing Lamar Jackson? Because what Lamar Jackson can do, we saw when Robert Griffin III came in against the Jets on Thursday night. He wasn't able to replicate that speed to the outside, and the Jets were able to cut him off right before he got back to the line of scrimmage on every single play, even though they were running the exact same plays. Lamar Jackson is a special talent, and he's a unique talent, and his skills are something that you can't replicate. That's why maybe Kyler Murray, you know, he has skills of his own, but he doesn't have that elusiveness. So yes, Greg Roman would be a tremendous loss, and you also flip that and say if Don Martindale, the defensive coordinator, leaves, you know, what he's been able to do with this defense since week seven and Marcus Peters, that would be a big loss as well. But if I'm concerned about Greg Roman leaving, I wouldn't be trusting John Harbaugh, and I wouldn't be trusting Lamar Jackson. And I have to trust those two based off what they've done. So, yeah, he'd be a big loss, but I don't think it's going to be as big as some people are making it out to be. We are going to go to break now, and when we come back, we're going to get into that Baker Mayfield Browns-led offense right up against that Ravens defense. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. 
But before we do that, the original Casper mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash LockedNFL and using LockedNFL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Welcome back to the final segment of this Crossover Wednesday Locked On Ravens and Locked On Browns episode. Kevin Oshaker still with you here with Jeff Lloyd. And Jeff, this was the game for the Ravens. This Browns game in week four where the Browns were able to dismantle the Ravens at M&T Bank Stadium 40-25, to it was the game that changed everything. And you kind of see sometimes with these blowout games, yeah, maybe it changes the team for the better and That's exactly what happened for the Ravens. It was a wake-up call. The Ravens' defense allowed 530 total yards. And for the week before that, they allowed over 500 to the Kansas City Chiefs. Eric Acosta, the Ravens' GM, went out and acquired Josh Bynes and LJ4. Then in Week 7, went out and acquired Marcus Peters and a few others a few weeks later. And there are now 10 defensive players who weren't on the roster when the Ravens played this Browns team in week four. I want to first talk about Nick Chubb because the year that Nick Chubb is having, it has been absolutely phenomenal. The guy won't go down. He breaks tackles at an elite rate. The Ravens saw it firsthand, 20 carries for 165 yards and three touchdowns in week four, and he has not slowed down. What makes Nick Chubb so dynamic? The thing with Nick is, you know, he is the joy to cover. I, I mean, everything about him, you know, similar to what you have in Lamar. There's never anything negative. He does what he is supposed to do. It's the blend of size. He's 230. He's got the long speed. You guys saw that firsthand. Arizona just saw it firsthand last week. He's over 1,000 yards after first contact. That's an insane number. The receiving ability. He's not the greatest of route runners. But last week, uh, you know, caught a short, flat, you know, caught a short, flat route sensed where the defender was. The defender was coming in, you know, on the inside shoulder. Boom. He went outside, took it up the field for another 15 yards. Everything about the guy, it's just hard to, like, wrap your head around him because he is anything but a modern-day star. The nickname here is old school. That's the way he carries himself. Uh, You know, Wednesday practice is no different than Sunday in the game. He is the same even-keeled guy. Day in, day out, just an absolute special talent, and he's just a joy to watch. I want to ask about some of these changes. Now, you mentioned Marcus Peters' name. Obviously, he's been there, and I believe it was first game against Seattle. Pick six, correct? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice. That's a nice return of investment right off the bat. <laughs> um, and here was the thing. Now, you know, Marlon Humphrey, the first time the Browns faced him, stuck with Odell all day, and I think Odell had you know some weird stat line of like two for twenty-seven. So now you add Marcus Peters to this mix. How big has been the addition? And I'm going to tell you right now, and the thing is whether or not Baltimore decides to keep him is the only concern I would have about keeping Marcus Peters is this is already the third stop along the line. You know, Marcus Peters seems, you know, the marriage, the honeymoon seems great, but it seems like, you know, once you bought the house and, you know, you've gotten you know some animals and thinking about kids is when it goes sour with Marcus Peters. But this has been a beautiful addition for them. Big time. Yeah, no, I think with Marcus Peters, he wasn't really given a fair shake in Kansas City. And, you know, he was a pro bowler there and I believe just his second season. And he had some character issues at University of Washington. Yep. Kind of carried over to the Chiefs. But when he got to Los Angeles, 
all of his teammates actually had very good things to say about him. And, you know, you might not expect that based off what I just told you, but a former Raven, Eric Weddle, who got there in the offseason, you know, says that Marcus Peters is, was one of his favorite teammates. And C- Cooper Cup and Marcus Peters had a very strong relationship. Also, you know, when he left, he felt very betrayed by the Rams. And when he got to Baltimore, one of the first things he did was, according to Marlon Humphrey, he organized the secondary team dinner to help him get to know the secondary players and vice versa. And Marlon Humphrey said that Marcus Peters has been exceptional in terms of the camaraderie that this secondary now has. The secondary now eats together. Um, I believe he said weekly. I don't know if that's the old tradition. But, you know, Marcus Peters can come off as very standoffish. He doesn't like to do interviews. He's very quiet. And when he does get yapping, I don't know if you saw that game against Los Angeles. Well, he was yapping the whole way and had some words for Jalen Ramsey (laughs) afterwards. But when Marcus Peters is on your team, you have to take the good with the bad. And he's a phenomenal talent. And the, the scheme that the Rams run is very zone-heavy and zone-based. That's not who Marcus Peters is. The Ravens run a combination of man and zone scheme. And when you put Marcus Peters up one-on-one against somebody, he's a little bit more of a frail cornerback. But what he does is he sticks to his man. And an underrated addition that I'll claim is an addition is the addition of Jimmy Smith back to this game in Cleveland because he wasn't on the field when the Ravens took on the Browns in Week 4. Now with him and Marcus Peters in the fold, those are two stud cornerbacks, and yes, Jimmy Smith has lost a step, and yes, sometimes Marcus Peters isn't the best tackler, but that has actually moved Marlon Humphrey inside to the slot, and he'll usually just stick on whoever's there. He doesn't really travel anymore, per se, and whether you line up Jarvis Landry in the slot or Odell Beckham in the slot, it's something where Marlon Humphrey will stay in that position. Whatever happens for the Ravens, they will have three stud cornerbacks on the field at all times because then you have to factor in Brandon Carr. And what the Ravens had to deal with in week four was a lot of young guys, a lot of inconsistency. Kenny Young was the guy who was shipped off in the Marcus Peters deal. He really didn't do a lot in his time. Tim Williams was cut. And you see Maurice Kennedy, he played. He was cut. Pernell McPhee, a veteran, he's now on injured reserve with a triceps injury. Chris Board now is a special teams linebacker. Deshaun Elliott now on injured reserve. Tony Jefferson now on injured reserve. There's a lot of change. And what the Browns will be seeing from this defense is a lot of things that they didn't see in week four. I do want to ask you, um, I've always been a Matthew Judon fan. He's not getting out of Baltimore, is he? Man, I sure hope not. And part of the reason I say I sure hope not is because the Ravens let Zedarius Smith walk, another homegrown talent. Zedarius came out of the University of Kentucky, had an all-star year last season, and the Ravens let him walk. He signed a four-year deal with the Green Bay Packers. Now, my concern is you can't let that go and can't let that happen with two premier pass rushers on your roster that you've homegrown. And Matthew Judon has been a guy who leads the team in sacks with 8.5. He's very good against the run also, can sniff out screens. John Harbaugh and Don Martindale have him drop into coverage sometimes. What the Ravens do with him is exceptional, and he's an exceptional player. He's meshed with this Ravens team. He's one of the heart and souls of this Ravens defense, and you can't let him go. Now, he's going to command big money, big, big, big money. No I doubt. think more than Zadarius Smith commanded when he went to Green Bay. I believe that deal was four years for $66 million. Now, the Ravens have, I believe, what's characterized as the fifth or around there, the fifth most cap space in the league going into the offseason. It's a lot amazing of, at 12-2. and two. Yes, and a lot of that is, one, credit to Eric DaCosta getting a quarterback on his rookie deal and getting and trading back into the first round to get him so the Ravens have that fifth-year option on him and allowing them to develop a team around him where you can pour money in because your quarterback's on such a cheap deal. 
But most of that money is going to have to go into retaining your own. We talked about Matthew Judon. We talked about Marcus Peters. Jimmy Smith is a free agent. Brandon Carr has a team option. We could cut Tony Jefferson to save some money. But then next year, you have to get Ronnie Stanley. You eventually have to plan for Marlon Humphrey. And then, of course, down the line, you have to sign Lamar Jackson. And the Ravens were smart in kind of structuring Earl Thomas's deal because they had that be a four-year deal right when Lamar Jackson's rookie deal will be up. So they can then decide whether to bring him back or not. That's why they didn't go any more than four years on Earl Thomas. But to your question, I don't think Matthew Judon does get out of Baltimore because of the fact that outside of Judon, the Ravens have struggled to produce a constant pass rush. He does so many things well on the defensive end of the ball. And you can't let two guys go with that pass rushing prowess and Zedaria Smith and Matthew Judon there. But Jeff, Let's get into final score predictions here before we head out. How do you think this one's going to go? The toughest thing for me is just where everything is at. And, you know, whether you believe what the talk was during the game and this whole come get me nonsense, I, I get it. I understand it. Um, but, you know, and it's this is things we say every pregame show. If the Browns do what they're capable of doing, it should be a good, but we're talking about, you guys are smoking right now. I mean, humming on offense. And, you know, like I had mentioned, now there are, you know, let's see, fourth and fifth defensive ends playing meaningful reps. Safety six and seven playing some meaningful reps. Uh, you know, Mac Wilson had a nice week this week. He's not been, you know, great to this point, but I'm not trying to knock the kid. He's a fifth round pick. Got into this opportunity maybe a little early. Uh, Joe Schobert, there's times where you look at Joe Schobert and you're like, man, dude, you are just like a man alone. And you would think, you know, in his fourth year, there'd be more around him. But you got these circumstances of, you know, a suspended star and his running mate who's got a bad knee. And there's really no reason for Olivier Vernon to even bother playing another game. I mean, if he's got one in him, this would be the one. I don't see any way the Browns can pull this out. Um, with the improvement in the secondary with Marcus Peters, the Browns don't really have a third wide receiver right now. Um, they carry six on the roster. Taiwan Taylor never plays. Carterell Hodge gets some reps, but he's a great special teamer. Damian Ratley had a nice couple of plays last week, but it's like you, they don't know where they're at with him. They kind of are in love with their tight ends. I don't want to say in love, but you know, 12 personnel works out well for Freddie. It's it'd be one of those ones where, or, you know, for me, if the Browns can pull this off, it's Nick Chubb had 27 carries and went over two bills. I just don't know how they can score with the Ravens down. And look, that game was 40 to 25. You're going to play now Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. I was OK with not having those guys for the first matchup because TJ Carey, because Terrence Mitchell, not the greatest of athletes, but good tacklers. I'm not so sure here with Denzel and Greedy against all of this and a lot of one-on-one with Lamar on the outside. It's a really, really bad spot. I mean, if you want to say we're going to give it to Kareem, we're going to give it to Nick, and these guys are going to get 40 carries, and we're going to try to make the game as short as possible, maybe it's close, but I I just don't see it. And for the Ravens with the let's win, and then maybe we can start resting some guys and focus on what we got to do. It's going to be a tough one, man. It's going to be a really, really tough game. If you want to tell me it's two touchdowns plus, that's probably about right. Yeah, I mean, I also think this is a Ravens victory. And for all the reasons you mentioned, you know, but the big one just being the Ravens are rolling and they're going to be 
out looking for revenge after that week four game. They knew in the aftermath of that game that they could play better, and they didn't expect to get stomped the way that they did. I don't think we expected them to get stomped the way that they did. And here we are now. The team's trajectories have gone in opposite directions, and what the Ravens have been able to do and to stay relatively healthy for the most part. You mentioned all those injuries the Browns have had to go through, all those guys who are no longer with the team. The Ravens, luckily, have been in pretty good graces with the injury gods ever since, you know, Tony Jefferson and Deshaun Elliott went out with injuries, Pernell McPhee, another one. So if I have to do a number score prediction, I'll give it a 35 to 24 Ravens victory. But Jeff, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for coming on the show, doing this crossover with me, and I just hope to see some good football on Sunday. Uh, right back at you, Kevin. Uh, enjoy the ride, man. Uh, you know, I- I'm glad this the way this season has worked out for you. I, you know, I, I know how hard you work. Um, and for you and the show to succeed along with the ride, you know, you're putting in the work where the team's succeeding. It- it's nice. And, you know, this is kind of what it did for us last year. Granted, you know, didn't carry over. Hopefully you for you guys, some more sustainability. But congratulations. I mean, I know you're working your butt off. The product is there. And obviously it's got to be kind of nice to sit down and do this every day when you ain't lost a game in three months. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it, Jeff. And, you know, my well wishes go right back at you as well. You know, this is a rivalry, AFC North and all, but at the end of the day, it's just a game. It's just football. So, you know, I hope your show is succeeding as well. So I hope for your sake and for, for Brown's nation that, you know, a few more victories come your way, but again, not at the expense of the Ravens, unfortunately, but hopefully next year we're talking about primetime games versus yeah. the Browns and the Ravens. Tomorrow we are going to talk more things Ravens. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you tomorrow.